Thank you. From Vermont Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. Thank you very much. Thank you. Those who've been here a while, I don't have to tell you, building the budget is never easy. Governor Phil Scott delivered his annual budget address this week. It's our job to separate our wants from our needs, make sure we're meeting our goals, determine where we need to do more and where we can get by with a little bit less. Scott laid out his spending priorities for next year, along with some pretty specific ideas about how to pay for them. Today, our political team breaks it all down. Uh, we got the dream team right here. Xander Landon, our political reporter. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, we got Ann Galloway, our uh, fearless leader. Indeed. And Colin Mine, our news editor. It's an honor to be on the panel. <laughs> yeah. And uh, t- two out of the three of you are still wearing your press badges. So this is, we just came back from this speech. Yeah, the sergeant at arms will be hunting us down pretty soon. We were told to give these back this afternoon, but... Uh, yeah, I think you're not supposed to do that. I'm planning to keep mine as a memento. <laughs> I turned mine in when I was supposed to. And I'm going to start with you, broad strokes. What was actually in the budget address that Governor Phil Scott put out this year? Well, I think that what was remarkable this time around was that Governor Scott actually proposed taxes and fees um, for the first time. You know, this is something that he has adamantly and vehemently said on the campaign trail was something he would not do. And while he characterized those tax and fee changes as modernization, they still are revenue increases that are pretty significant. I mean, we're looking at $10 million in increases in taxes and $8 million. Am I right about that, Xander? <laughs> Check me on that. So it's millions of dollars in new taxes and fees. What's the significance of that? Um, The significance is that I think there's a recognition that there are particular programs that the governor really cares about that he wants to make happen, including additional funds for early education. He has spending on the Vermont State Colleges. $2.3 million to strengthen the state's firewall. $1.5 million in safety improvements at schools. $1 million in connectivity. $1.5 million in rebates to help more people purchase or lease new or used EVs. $48 $48 million to clean water projects. Funding for relocation support to really sell Vermont. And then you have $8.6 million in efficiency cuts across state government. And that's not new. I mean, Governor Shumlin did that, and so did Douglas. But, you know, that's a fair amount of money, $8.6 million. So, I mean, and most of these initiatives are going to be palatable to the legislature, and that's something new. Hmm. They're concrete proposals that um, lawmakers already like. I was in the uh, House Appropriations Committee this afternoon, and they've already approved a Budget Adjustment Act change that the Scott administration proposed, and it's in the budget proposal today, which has to do with a $22 million uh, payment on a teacher's health care retirement uh, obligation. So there's already some kumbaya going on, which is really new, because in the past, um, the Sky administration and Democratic lawmakers have been at odds from the beginning. And the fact of the matter is that the Sky administration would make proposals that were so... Uh, so offensive to the Dems that they just rejected them out of hand. And then the Scott administration was like, well, you got to figure this out on your own. And they ended up having to create the budgets um, pretty much out of whole cloth and house appropriations without any help from the Scott administration. This time around, it's very clear that the Scott administration is working with legislative leaders from the get-go. Yeah. Let me ask you about that, Xander, because you covered the kind of battle between the legislature and the governor uh, towards the end of the last session. What do you see as being different this time around? Well, 
What, what we saw during the last budget impasse was um, a lot of complaints from Democratic leadership that the Scott administration's proposals, namely the proposals to reform the state's education system and our education finance system, were coming way too late in the legislative process at the very end of the legislative se- session, and that it was sort of force-feeding lawmakers le- legislation that, that they wanted to see passed right away. Here, as Ann was just talking about, we have a lot of these initiatives on the table very early. And I think, you know, one of the things that struck me the most about the proposal was, as Ann was saying, the fact that we have new taxes and new fees on the table. Between 2017 and 2018, 1.5 million more kids began using e-cigarettes and vape products across the nation. I think you all know, it's not my first instinct to add a tax. But with a growing health risk for our kids, I'm proposing to levy the same tax as we do on tobacco products. If you were in the uh, legislature at all in the first term, the first Scott administration, uh, the first term that the Scott administration was in office, any whiff of a bill that had a tax or a fee in it would be immediately opposed. There'd be immediate opposition from the Scott camp. Here we have a, a litany of new fees. I mean, if this was coming in the first term proposed by Democrats, they would have been opposing that. Here we have a lot more on the table from them. And and it's pretty much all stuff that Democrats are, are, are likely going to get behind pretty easily. You've got this proposal that would generate $7 million in additional revenue from an expansion, essentially, of the Wayfair Supreme Court decision, which paved the way for the states to collect sales tax from companies that sell stuff online. And that would go to child care benefits. Now, that's something, once again, everyone, you know, Republican, Democrat, progressive, everyone wants to see child care subsidies expanded in Vermont. Although the Democrats don't want to see it done in that way. There was already some pushback uh, just because online sales tax was going towards education, uh, K-12 education, and was going to reduce the burden on property taxes. If it goes toward child care, then property taxes continue to fill that hole in the education fund. So when you get down to details, certainly there's going to be some disagreement. My constituents tell me on a regular basis that property taxes mm-hmm. are too high. Mm-hmm. And so by by spending money out of the education fund, which some of his proposals do, it puts pressure on those property taxes. I think what encapsulates sort of the change from last year to this year the most is the e-cigarette tax, um, because it's something that, as Xander was saying, was dismissed out of hand by the Scott administration last year, simply because it was a tax. You know, I mean, it's a public health issue. Uh, Scott's own health commissioner is calling it a crisis. So, you know, it's pretty uncontroversial. But at the same time, it's a tax. And, you know, Phil Scott coming out and pitching it in his own sort of start to the session is, you know, sort of uh, an olive branch. And um, certainly it felt like he was starting a conversation here as opposed to saying, here's my way. And as Ann was saying, you know, now you guys go write your own budget. There's a lot of things that he pitched today that will almost certainly end up in the budget that, uh, you know, comes out a month or two from now. And you're seeing criticism of this budget, but it's very... It's pretty picky criticism. It's not <laughs> it pointing to one thing and saying, this is ideologically an awful idea. It's, it's an aspect of how, how the funding works, like with, like with the childcare um, yeah. proposal. It's about that money coming, that money coming out of the ED fund, uh, which you know, would otherwise buy down property or uh, bring down property tax rates. They don't like the sort of the, 
the way that, that that mechanism would work. But everyone, of course, as I just said, everyone wants to see those benefits expanded. You have clean water funding. Everyone has been searching for a source of clean water funding for years. They put the estate tax on the table, the $8 million that would come from the estate tax. Last year, the Scott administration, they didn't even really bother to search for a funding source. Here we have them isolating something. Democrats are being, once again, picky about this funding source. They don't like that the estate tax can bring in a different amount of money on any given year. It's a variable tax. It's not a. It's not always $10 million or $20 million. It, 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 it's all over the map. But we see more nuanced critiques of the funding sources. But if you look at it as a long-term sort of comparing it to last year or, or the year before, the Scott administration is coming a long way with what they're putting on the table. One thing I wonder about that, though, is, you know, you, you characterize these as really picky critiques. The is things okay to say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it, it is. <laughs> but, but the things that have held up the budget at the end of the session over the past two years, both of those times, a lot of people have characterized those as really specific things. So, you know, a really specific proposal over teacher health care, for example. You know, it seems like in previous years, something on that scale, a disagreement like that, would that be the kind well, of thing that could have led to a bigger debate? Well, I think that the difference is that at the beginning of both of those sessions in the last biennium, you had these global proposals from the Scott administration that were odious to the legislature, and then they ended up nitpicking at the end. This time, we've kind of fast-worded the process. You know, there's nitpicking in the beginning, which means they're a lot closer, hmm. you know, than they have been in past years. So, for example, in the first session, they wanted to move um, – teachers' retirement from the general fund of the Ed Fund. And they also wanted to change um, school district votes from town meeting day to right. a, a date in May. Right. And lawmakers said, no way, we're not accepting that. In year two, you know, they were really pushing some changes to the Ed Fund that, again, were really difficult for them to swallow. And they just you know, the Democrats wouldn't go for it. So I would say that they're just a lot closer now uh, at the very beginning of the session than they would have been in the past. And I think what's different, too, is that Suzanne Young, who's the secretary of the Agency of Administration, has been spending time in House Appropriations helping committee members understand the Scott administration's proposals for budget adjustment. And I think you're going to see that kind of approach from administrative officials now in the finance committees and in the budget committees. And that's going to make the process easier for everyone. And it's kind of like what Tim Ash said the other day in um, our forum, which is that, you know, if you practice negotiation through the session, it makes it easier at the end. <laughs> <You know? Yeah. laughs> practice makes perfect. <laughs> While we've always maintained a friendship, like all of us have yeah. throughout even the last two rocky years, um, I think this budget represents something a lot more collaborative and even where there's disagreement, there's space to work with uh, without um, a, a showdown being set up right out of the gates. But I don't think that's to say that, you know, they're going to eventually agree on these things. I think no, it's very likely that, you know, <laughs> for clean water funding, for example, you know, uh, Missy Johnson said, you know, told us a week ago that, you know, it's very likely they won't figure out a solution this session, that this could be kicked to the next session. They're, you know, they're going to fight and that's all part of the process. Um, I guess what's different this time is that, when they start with fights over specific proposals in the beginning, it gives lawmakers and the Scott administration an opportunity 
to, together and separately, make cases to the public for their stances. And in the past, it's been like cat and mouse or like Lucy hiding the football. Mm -hmm. You know, you didn't really know what the Sky administration was really doing because they were pitching these big, big conceptual ideas as opposed to... Um, really nitty-gritty proposals that people could understand. <laughs> I think it's important also to understand the the political uh, landscape and the context of this year's budgeting process. You know, this year the governor has lost a lot of the Republican support uh, in the House that he that he was able to rely on consistently in his first term. Republicans lost the members that they needed to in the last election to be able to um, unilaterally and and on a dime sustain the governor's veto pen, which means that the governor could basically, you know, veto any bill, any budget. He vetoed two budgets last year because they weren't to his liking because they would have raised property taxes to some extent. He doesn't have that power anymore. He, he's in, in a way his hand is forced and he has to be more put, put proposals on the table that are more amenable to the Democrats who have a bolstered um, majority. Yeah, about halfway into the session, you know, he came out with a letter that took a bunch of bills that were being crafted. You know, the administration hadn't really been engaged up until that point. And he said, here's all the bills that I'm going to veto if you keep them the way they are and they have taxes and fees. And he just can't do that this year. So he can either choose to just sort of leave it to, you know, the Democrats and the legislature to do what they will, or he can engage early and have his officials, you know, sitting in committee rooms, which is something that they didn't do very often in you know, the last few sessions and really be part of the process. And, you know, I think Democrats were hoping that that would happen this session, and it seems like it is. And how I'm curious how much you guys think that that is what we can attribute this change of approach to. Is it just the politics, or do you think Scott has also kind of seen the light on loosening up with spending a little bit? Yeah, I mean, certainly, even when he had these votes, it wasn't a very productive strategy. You know, I mean, he ended up uh, at the end of his first term, you know, he's sort of caved, I think, on the uh, teacher's health insurance, you know, that he played hardball until the end. And, you know, essentially the same thing happened this last session that he, uh, you know, said that he was absolutely not going to allow any property taxes to increase in any way. And then at the end of the day, he did. So, um, you know, I don't think that even when he did have the votes, it was a terribly effective strategy for him. Although, you know, he certainly kept taxes and fees down in a way that I think few governors have ever done in the state. So that's some success. And certainly something he campaigned on then this past oh, yes. uh, this past year, he was able to say, this is my record on taxes and fees. And, uh, you know, we saw that come up in speeches over and over. And you're still going to see that. I mean, he doesn't want to see property taxes go up. He doesn't want to see income or sales tax rates go up. It's just what, what, we're, what we will see it into is the ideological opposition to any tax or fee, which has irked Democrats in the legislature beyond belief. And as our columnist wrote recently, uh, that's John Margolis, you know, people are already wondering whether or not Phil Scott's going to run uh, again in 2020. You know, those sort of people are reading the tea leaves. And I would say that if he's not going to go really hard on no taxes and fees, that's really been one of his big sort of campaign platforms. So, you know, that sort of takes a uh, arrow out of his quiver, I suppose, if he does go back on the campaign trail uh, in a year or two. But at the same time, the governor could pick up, a, you know, maybe he maybe he can't tout, you know, that pledge. He can't he can't hold that up as um, an accomplishment. But we're seeing him already putting more uh, sort of meat on the bones proposals on the table. We're seeing now a paid family leave proposal coming from the Scott administration. Last year, he vetoed a paid family leave bill. This year, he's he's got something, um, a, a dual bi-state proposal with New Hampshire for a voluntary paid family leave program. Once again, Democrats 
don't like that proposal for a variety of reasons. But with that and with these sort of bigger investments that the, that he's putting on the table, he's putting more meat on the bones than he has in prior years. And those are all things where you're, you're basically saying the Democrats kind of set the agenda that those items were going to be the topics of conversation. And, and he's coming in and saying, all right, well, here here's what my take on that. He's meeting them in the middle. But I also think that there were some other proposals that didn't make it into the budget hmm. that could have. Like what? You know, well, like Dan French's idea around creating one giant school district in the state of Vermont. You know, that they were floating that kind of, you know, and I think they got pushback on that from insiders. And I think that, you know, there was a lot of talk about shifting the retirement system for state workers from defined benefit to defined contribution where state workers would uh, manage their own um, retirement accounts. And that was, you know, something that uh, Democrats pushed back on before the session started. So I think that, yes, there is a sense that Democrats are setting the agenda and that Phil Scott recognizes that some of these proposals aren't really going to go anywhere. So what's the point in proposing them? Yeah, that's something that uh, Jane Kitchell, who's uh, the head of the Senate uh, Appropriations Committee, was talking about, that a lot of the things that he proposed today, something like putting money into teacher pension liabilities, which is something that Democrats were really pushing for last session, he's now sort of starting the conversation on that already. So a lot of the ideas, she said, essentially, these were things that the Democrats put on the table and, you know, that Phil Scott was sort of moving forward with them. So what happens next? I mean, if there's no conflict over there, do we just... uh stay out of the state house and let it play out? Or what <laughs> happens now? Conflict. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of things uh, that weren't part of the speech, I think, you know, that was as much of the story to the Democrats and, you know, to us, I guess, as the things that were, he didn't talk at all about mental health. You know, we had a series, BPR had a series this year about the just really sad state of uh, mental health facilities in the state, how emergency rooms are essentially having to care for mental health patients because there's no capacity. Um, so that wasn't in the speech at all, which was really disappointing to people like like Jenny Lyons, who's the head of the Senate Health and Welfare Committee. Opioids got uh, $2 million, I think. Uh, it wasn't even $2 million for, for opioids specifically. I think it was... It was for taking care of children. Care who of are children the, who may be affected right. by, the, by the opioid crisis, right. but there was no money for treatment and prevention initiatives that they put on the table. And, and in general, lawmakers who deal with, with health care issues in the Statehouse were all pretty disappointed that there was no mention really at all of of any healthcare initiatives in this budget address. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's nothing about a marijuana tax. It's worth noting, you know, that's going to be sort of a major issue. This session is going to be a tax and regulate system, or as one of the lobbyists supporting it said, a cannabis consumer protection bill is the way that they're uh, pitching it now to make it a bit more, <laughs> a bit more palatable. <laughs> a bit more palatable. So, uh, you know, that's going to be a huge conversation in the next few months. Uh, and, you know, the governor is certainly not going to be getting out ahead on that, given that he's generally been opposed to the idea. Got it. All right. Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Are you guys going to return those press passes or what? Uh, well, there's tomorrow's another day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, guys, for the rundown. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. You can find full coverage of the governor's budget proposal at vtdigger.org. While you're there, sign up for our new email newsletter. It's called Final Reading. We're sending it every evening from Tuesday to Friday to get you the most up-to-date insider information from the Statehouse. Seriously, we're even talking to the Statehouse chef about what's on the menu the next day. 
It's great. It's free. Go sign up. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, our weekly podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast too and get new episodes as soon as they land. Just search for The Deeper Dig wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. Have a nice weekend.